Shall we do it? You guys ready? That was the most quick sit-down ever. Impressive. This middle row. Last time I was here, this you guys were a little slow, so it's good to see you picking it back up. How are you guys doing tonight? Everyone doing well? Awesome. Todd, it's good to see you're doing well out of everyone here. I'm glad that you're blessed. I know I'm blessed. Uh, I want to thank all of you guys for the support and prayers and encouragement. I had a little baby boy. I didn't. My wife did. Um, but there, therefore, I did last Tuesday. Yeah. I want to show you guys a picture of him at a day old. Uh, this is him uh, here, a picture of a day old. And when the screen pops up, it's going to be awesome. There he is. Um, now, th- this is him at, at a day old. He was tired because we were playing catch out in front of the hospital uh, yesterday. Is Kellen here tonight? I don't know if Kellen's here, but um, Kellen and John have actually started uh, Dawson on his weight training program already. So I don't know if you can tell that uh, yet, but in his, seeing his bicep on the, on the left there or on the right of the picture, it's getting pretty strong. And of course, he's rocking the Puma garb. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, he came out of the womb actually in Puma garb, which was interesting. I was like, I didn't know that works that way. But uh, thank you all so much for it. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have. God forgive me. Uh, it's amazing, though, to just have the support of you guys and encouragement. Heidi's at home, uh, still recovering with Dawson, and so thank you very much. You can take DD down now. Thank you. Um, you. You come to certain passages because we travel verse by verse here at Matthias that um, they're, they're just they're pretty tough. And, and tonight, tonight's one of those. I'm going to ask... Um, out of you, that you sitting in your pew comfortably right now aren't trying to be anyone who you're not. I, I want there to be a, a spirit and atmosphere tonight of vulnerability as we travel through this passage. I, I want you to know that, um, that no matter how you've come in here, no matter where your heart has been, no matter how close to the Lord or or far away from the Lord, or not even knowing the Lord that you are, I want you to know that tonight as we vulnerably open this passage, that that we can together be exactly who we are and watch the gospel move us farther. And that's what we're praying for tonight. For God to do a tremendous work through His Word and not the words of man. Are you with me? That, That as we open the Scriptures, that the Spirit moves in such a way that the words become the breath of life that they are, and that God speaks vitally to each one of our hearts, and we're praying that through the vulnerability of your heart and your, per- your persona tonight, that we're able to journey towards the person and work of Christ. Amen? So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, to do that, we're going to be studying First John. So right in front of your face, in front of your dome is a pew Bible. Uh, open your Bible to First John uh, chapter 3. Now, for those of you guys that are just joining us, welcome. I, I want to catch you up on where we were two weeks ago. I, I really appreciate Noah sharing last week, and I hope you guys enjoyed that, appreciated that. I'm really excited about August Gate and getting ready to launch uh, those guys out of here, and they're just doing a phenomenal job in preparation. So thanks again uh, to Noah for filling in last week and throwing down. Um, two weeks ago, we watched uh, John escalate in his readers' hearts the sinfulness of sin. You see, the Gnostics, and we'll talk a lot about Gnosticism tonight, the bad teaching that was infiltrating Asia Minor had come in and were lessening the value, even though that's probably not the right word, the value of sin. 
They were diminishing it because to a Gnostic, the flesh doesn't matter. It's all about what happens in the spirit. So no matter what you do in the flesh, sin or not sin, it, it really is insignificant to a Gnostic. What John said two weeks ago is, hey church, can, can we hate our sin? Because it is absolute rebellion against God. It is going consistently against his will. And because of that, we should, as believers, hate it. And so tonight, um, he ups the ante a little bit. Are you guys with me? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I'll put up the, the passage here. Now, anytime there's a rhetoric change in all of our language, oftentimes, the, the rhetoric change heightens awareness and attentiveness. So John has been hitting on sin, sin, sin. And he's also been uh, teaching on righteousness and what that looks like. And all of a sudden here, he says that anyone who makes a practice of sinning is of the, the devil, okay? A clear rhetoric shift trying to get the attention of his readers and hopefully the attention of you and I today. I, I don't know if you're like me. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil is a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you agree? And so we better sit back for a moment and try to grasp what he is saying here. Because as he writes this... Um, to a group of people who he desires to be very black and white with. This whole passage will seem so intense, so hardcore, and so black and white. And I want you guys to understand again why. He desires so much that these believers in Asia Minor remember the message that they've heard from the beginning, remember the gospel, so that they will no longer be influenced by the bad Christology of the Gnostics. He desires so deeply, listen to this, to assure their faith. There will be moments tonight as we read this that it will feel like condemnation. That it will feel like condemnation. But, but Scripture says that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So understand that when, when, when John writes this, it is all about conviction through the Holy Spirit and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. He's writing to assure them, to say, no, 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 remember Christ. And so in the moments tonight, when it feels like it's getting really intense, it is. And the reason is because he desires so greatly for these people to know the reality of God. Let's break this down by punctuation. All right, first you'll notice a little comma after the devil. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the what? Is of the devil. Now, um, practice two weeks ago we studied the greek word the greek word is poieo everyone say that with me poieo phenomenal you're all greek scholars just like noah oldham thank you noah right whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil now the word poieo implies continual it implies repetitive implies habitual so if you were to put the word habitual into this verse Do you see how intense this verse gets? Look, whoever habitually sins is of the devil. 
your mind, potentially, just went several different directions. Because you're like, um, I downloaded four MP3s last month. Is that habitual, repetitive sin? And if so, then is John saying I'm of the devil? I coveted my neighbor's house about 40 times last year. Is that repetitive, habitual sin? And if so, am I of the devil? I viewed pornography on my computer some 60, 70 times in the recent months. Is that a habitual sin and therefore I'm of the devil? Do you see the intense nature of this, of this passage? So we could do one thing. We could just leave it there and say, all right, everyone, um, figure, figure out what habitual is. Does that seem very assuring? No, it, it would leave us in this moment of, hold on a second, I could be struggling with habitual sin. And then we all walk out, and we're all like, we're all questioning. Now listen, the questioning is not bad. And here's why. In this moment, talking about habitual. I think it's best to bring up Paul. Paul in Romans chapter 7 is talking about his war that's happening inside of him, right? And he says something like this, and many of you guys know the passage. He's like, why do I do what I don't want to do? And why do I don't do what I should do? And why do I do, don't, whatever, right? Like it's, like this, it's kind of this word train. Listen to this. At the end of chapter 7 in verse 22, after he's just confessed that he is warring inside, this, this sin nature is battling within him, listen to this. Paul says, I delight in the law of the Lord. And so at first glance, you could be like, well, well, Paul struggled with habitual sin. He was like, why do I do what I don't? Someone who is struggling with habitual, continual, repetitive sin does not end their statement with, but I delight in the law of the Lord. Do you see the difference? We talked a few weeks ago about being able to articulate a healthy struggle about we as Christians, about how we struggle with sin. Being able to talk about that from a biblical perspective. Because many of us just spout out Christian subculture uh, language that really has no biblical founding. But the Apostle Paul, and John MacArthur said it this way as I was reading this morning, he said, do Christians and, and the Apostle Paul sin sometimes? Yes. Do Christians and the Apostle Paul, as evidenced by this passage, do they sin deliberately sometimes? Does the Apostle Paul and do Christians sin perpetually or habitually? No. Because the habitual sin is all-consuming. Let me put it this way. Have you guys ever been um, to the dentist? Right? Oh boy. I just about said a disease, but I didn't know if that was right, so I didn't say it. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I just have to speak, though, sometimes. You know what I mean? I was thinking something. Um, we bet You better get checked out, all right? If you haven't been, just go. There's actually a dentist in our church, all right? Dr. Short, Troy, go see him. Whenever you go to the dentist, 
They give you this, this awesome thing called laughing gas. You guys ever had this? Right? And all of a sudden, your whole face, like, turns into Flabber McGee. You know what I mean? Like, you can't feel anything. Like, your tongue, you're like, ah, you know? And he's like, how you doing? You're like, ah, you know? I mean, you just, the concept is, is everything in you goes numb. Uh, some of you guys, like, um, my wife who just had the baby, right? She got an epidural. And, like, pretty much your body just goes numb. You have no what? You have no movement, you have no control. Your body goes numb. Have you ever in your life, before Christ, after whatever, have you ever felt numb? Let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like the world around you was moving, but you weren't? Have you ever felt like that the world around you was feeling something, but you had no feelings? H- have you ever felt like, like the world around you had emotions, but you were were rendered emotionless? Have you ever felt numb before? Like you couldn't, you couldn't even think? It was like you didn't even exist. Habitual sin is so consuming that it creates this, this numbness in those who are participating in it that, that causes them to just not feel, no conviction, there's nothing there. They're numb. Some of you tonight walked in and are so caught up in habitual, repetitive sin that you are sitting in your seat now completely numb. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The scripture is, whoever habitually sins is of the devil. The habit isn't placed on a number. Do you see anywhere in Scripture habitual sin defined as four? Or, you know, the studies of the culture, they say if you uh, chew Big Red for 28 days straight, three hours a day, then all of a sudden you have a habit, you know? And the studies would say all these things. We know when we are doing something habitually, don't you? It is all-consuming. You wake up thinking about it, You wake up pursuing it, it is all-consuming. And that's what John is saying. Whoever is consumed with sin is of the devil, period. It's black and white. It's crystal clear. There's no room for X's and O's here. He says whoever is consumed with sin is of the devil. Now, we could think, um, well, maybe John just creatively through the Spirit of God, came up with this. He's just repeating what Jesus has already said. Matthew chapter 12, put this up. Listen to this. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus calls these individuals born of Satan. The brood of vipers is literally spawns of Satan, of Satan. Why? Because they are consumed with what Satan is consumed with. Put back verse 8, the next part after the comma. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been what? Has been sinning from the beginning. So why does a person who is habitually sinning Why are they called uh, of Satan? Because that's what Satan has been doing from the beginning. He has been habitually 
continually, repetitively sinning from the beginning. That is his nature. Listen, Satan is completely numb to any conviction, to any emotion that would cause him to see all of that. He is consumed with lust, consumed with greed, consumed with jealousy, and anyone who is of the devil is consumed with those same things because they're of the devil. Um, So we look at that and we're like, that's somewhat daunting that those individuals are so weighed down, listen, by the seduction of Satan that they're bound by it, that they're, that they're challenged by it so deeply that there is like, there's absolutely no escape. Well, this concept from the beginning, like many of you guys are like, so what does that mean? I, I, think, that, I think the easiest definition, the way to define that is beginning in his rebellion. Beginning at the rebellion of Satan and from, from that point on, right, from the beginning, Satan has been sinning. Now the last part of this verse uh, put, up, put up the John verse for me real quick, and we'll see how Jesus uh, affirms this. In John 8, 44, and I want to show you guys again how, how John is just, he's not like creating theory here. He's just simply repeating, and now in his gospel, what Jesus has already said. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So John just uses the same rhetoric from Jesus, which he wrote about in his gospel. And has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So, when individuals born of Satan habitually, continually, repetitively sin, that is the depraved nature in which we are all born into. My beautiful little baby Dawson. Man, he's so scrumptious, which is probably the wrong usage there, you know. But, you know, you just, he's cuddleful. Wrong again. He's just, he, he's just awesome. Depraved. Sinner. Listen to this. I've told a few of you guys this. I've had the privilege in my life to um, disciple many guys who have gone on to be youth pastors or pastors. But I think the most humbling thing of holding Dawson is it, it is the first time that I'll have the opportunity to pastor a pastor from birth. And some of you guys are like, well, well are you just calling your shot? Like he's going to be a pastor, right? Like you and God have already talked and he's already firmed in you. You know, like what are you doing here, MJ? You know, he's calling your three-pointer, right? No. At the very minimum, and when I say minimum, I don't mean insignificant. He will, by God's grace, pastor his wife and his kids. And so I have the the humbling opportunity to pastor a pastor. And I'm praying that God has grace on his life because when I look at my little baby boy now, he is born in to the depraved, sinful state that every human being after Adam and Eve have been born into. And I'm praying that God will have grace on his life. Look at this, verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Anyone who is of Satan, this is why the scripture says the cross is foolishness, does not hear the words of God until God opens their eyes. 
And when he does, the words become the words of God and not just foolishness. Listen, should we fear Satan in this moment then, right? Like that's the question. It's like, man, if, if there's this like sense that like people are born of Satan, then what do we do? Like do we wear like anti-Satan shirts and, you know, shorts and just run? Like what do we do? Look at this. Go back to uh, verse 8. I love John because he writes... Go back to, uh, yeah, there we go. I love, I love John because just when you think he is like just challenging, 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 look what he does. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Just when he's like been so intense and he's called people who are struggling with habitual sin of the devil, he says, but the reason the Son of God has appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Come on. In verse 5, what do he say? To take away the sins, right? The Son of Man is doing all of this, and all of a sudden he affirms the church, and if you're a guy, you see the word destroy. Anybody else? Right? If you're a guy in here or, you know, a, a macho girl, right, you see the word destroy, and it just gets you excited. Anybody else? Like, I, okay, just me again, I'm sorry. I see destroy, and it just pumps me up, especially when it's attributed to the Son of Man. The Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The word in the Greek is luo. Now, you remember when we studied a takeaway from a few verses ago, that the image is that he takes something that's attached to something else and takes it away. Now, destroy, luo here, means to loose something that has been bound. He has come, the Son of Man, appeared to loose those who are falling into the seduction of Satan. And for those of you who have had your eyes opened to the gospel, you know what kind of loosing I'm talking about. You're numb consumed with selfish pride and gluttony of sin and all of a sudden you have conviction and you read the Bible and God begins to speak and you have discernment and all of these things begin to happen because that's why the Son of Man appeared. Why appeared? Anything significant? Remember, the Gnostics don't believe that what? That Jesus came in the flesh and was God on the earth. And so this is another moment for John to affirm the reason why he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So what are the works of the devil? Right? Any guesses? What are the works of the devil? A scripture says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for what? Someone to devour. In John, he says that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a different Greek word, but still interesting, isn't it? That Christ will destroy the one who has perceived power on this earth to destroy. Unbelievable. Now his works are simply sin. Jealousy, rage, malice, anger, continually seducing those who are born of him into that sin. Those are his works. That's what he does all day long. But... The Son of Man came to destroy that. The Son of Man came to loose those bound by that. 
Church, are you not assured right now? You have this moment where you look inward and say, am I consumed by my sin? And if you're a Christian, the scripture says, no, you won't be. In fact, the the scripture will go on to say it's impossible. But you remember now the gospel of Christ. And John's already talked about it. How does he destroy the works? Uh, Scripture says that he came. And John wrote that he became the propitiation for our sins. That he became the perfect sacrifice, taking on the wrath of God. Uh, John also wrote that by his blood, our sins are forgiven. That's how he looses us. The same sins that were, that were bounding us, he, by his blood and his sacrifice, loosed that. That's why John writes, this is the life and life to the full. So if you're reading this, you're like, John wants this church in Asia Minor to be on full alert. Why? Because he's saying in Asia Minor, there are only two kinds of people. Children of the devil and children of God. And there's children of the devil that are appearing right now like they're children of God. And I'm writing this to you through a scribe. I'm writing this to you so that you will not forget the gospel and fall into temptation. Now what's happened in the church is that many people um, have taken this opportunity to turn the child of the devil talk into I hate them. They take this passage and it becomes competition. Have you ever seen that before? Struggled with it before? Seen a community ostracize children of the devil? It's in a moment like this, in a passage like this, that I sit back and I understand our mission even more. Children of the devil, born in a depraved state, eyes not opened to the gospel, they can't hear the words of God because they're not of God. So how do you respond? Do you respond by sitting on your ruff? Do you respond by, by just calling out those people and segregating yourself from those people, and we'll talk about that later, or do you respond, church, with an overextension of love, an overextension of compassion, an overextension of grace, so that we can reflect the gospel of our great king, who the scripture will say in a second, you're of that king. And so what do we do? The church so much has just hated those people because they're children of the devil instead of loving those people all the more. How much time is spent in your home with your children in your dorm room praying for those who are children of the devil? Oh God, don't let me become like one of them. Is that your prayer? Or oh God, will you open their eyes to the reality of the gospel that they might be born of you? Because I know that it's only by your saving work and your saving power and not by anything that I will do that they will see you. Is that your prayers? I want to see my little girl 
and my little boy, I want them to see daddy and mommy praying for their lost neighbors. And her compassion and heart for them growing. Do you see this church? It's in a verse like this that the church has sat back and said, children of the devil. We like draw little pictures with tails, you know. No. It's time for a verse like this for the church to, to have this outcry of mercy and compassion and grace. Now he's not done. Verse 9 says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 9. So just when you thought it was going to get really easy again, then he kind of like comes back in in you with a rocky southpaw, you know? Right? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So do you see how he flips it? If if you're born of Satan, it's, it's habitual, continual, repetitive sin. But what does he say here? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God continually, habitually, repetitively sin. They cannot do that. So here's what I do. In this moment, and this is the question that I had when I was studying, why does it appear like so many people that are Christians struggle with habitual sin? Have you ever thought about that before? Or now? If this is true, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, then how do we reconcile the appearance of so many people who claim to be born of God struggling deeply with the consummation of sin, the consuming part of sin? Here's the reality. The reality is there are many, like Jesus said, who claim Christianity It's the exact same thing that the Gnostics were doing. If you know anything about Gnosticism, the one thing they were doing was claiming we're a part of Christian fellowship. We're Christians. The problem was when you asked them about what they believed about Jesus, then the truth came out. But they wanted wanted to be a part of this fellowship for, for many reasons. There are many who claim Christianity who simply are not a Christian. Why does it appear like there's many born of God that are sinning? Because they're not born of God. Sure, it's coming out of the rhetoric of their mouth. But almost the more dangerous piece is that culturally as a church, we've lowered the standards so far that that the fruit which we see is not biblical fruit, but it's fruit the church has created. And so then we as the church... Not just them claiming it, we as the church then place them in this category of born of God. Becoming a judger of souls. And so what does it do? It thrusts you and me into confusion, doesn't it? That's what this verse does to me. I sit back and I'm like, how can this be? If no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, then why does it appear that so many Christians are struggling with habitual repetitive sin? reality is there are many who claim Christianity and Jesus said this, that simply aren't Christians. Now why? Why do they claim this? Why do they perceive this? Why is this distinction made? First reason, 
is they have a confused view of what it means to be born of God. You see, the confused view of many is that I can be born of God by meriting myself, earning my way towards the favor of God. That I will do X, Y, Z, and eventually God will see me, have favor on me, and then welcome me into His glorious family, calling me born of Him. Listen to this. This is the exact same thing, what we're talking about right now, that this church was struggling with. Do you see what this first part does? If that's what you're trying to do, earn your way towards the gospel, you don't even know the gospel. That's not the gospel. And so what does it do? You're going to habitually sin because you're not born of God, but you're trying to earn it. Do you see what that does? You are living in complete confusion every day. You're not born of God. You're trying to earn your salvation but you're not born of him and empowered by him to do that. So every day it's this plus three, minus three. I did five good things. I did four bad things. Every day it's the flux. And it's those people, especially in the church, that are confusing all of us about what Christianity really is. Is it by, own, my, by my own merit and my own power that I see any favor in God's eyes? No. You're born of God because he as the good shepherd goes after the lost sheep and puts the sheep on his shoulders and takes the sheep home. Did the stupid sheep do anything? No. The sheep got saved. The sheep got sought after. The sheep got pursued. Isn't anyone else just thank you, God, for that? Come on. It's that picture that will drastically affect people's view of what it means to be born of him. Second reason is just a plain misperception of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. For those people who claim Christianity and yet continue to habitually struggle with repetitive sin, clearly making them not born of God, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the true gospel. That true person of Christ hasn't affected their life so deeply and the gospel completely changed in their life. It's like Jesus is this is this homeboy mentality instead of king. You see, when he's king, then it changes everything. But when he's this like cultural phenomenon that you just want to be a part of and grasp a hold of, or when you've heard things like the prosperity gospel, or when you've been dragged away by certain uh, aspects of the gospel that have caused you to, to see yourself as a higher value in the gospel than Christ? Have you ever seen that gospel? It being more about you and your goodness and your greatness than who Christ is? Then what happens is people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Who's Jesus? Not sure. Cool guy. No, no, no. Cool guy. That's almost blasphemous just by the words. No, he is the great majestic king. Third reason, and I think this really being shown from tonight, is that people claim Christianity because they have disconnected faith and works. They have not truly grasped that when you are born of God, it changes everything in your life forever. People still live, and they want to live like, I still want to be born of Satan and experience some of those things, and I want the benefits of being born of God. What John is saying is, nope. 
does not happen that way, cannot happen that way. It's impossible. If you've been born of God, you do not make a practice of sinning. Are you with me, church? There's no repetitive, habitual sin for those people who have been born of God. Why? Because the gospel has drastically shifted everything. Sinlessness, clearly not, right? John has been clear about that. He says, if anyone claims to be without sin, they are a liar. We will sin. The difference is, is it all-consuming, perpetual, or is it occasional? And when it's occasional, do we hate it? When it's occasional, does it cause quick repentance like David in Psalm 51? Is that what it does? Or when we sin, it's just I'm numb to the world. This next part gets crazy interesting. For God's seed abides in him. He doesn't leave us, right? Because he could just say, anyone who is born of God does not make a practice of sinning. Go. No, no, no. He tells us why. Why? Because God's seed is in him. Quick, um, when I'm studying, like many of you, I'm sure, when I see cool words like seed, right? If you're a farmer, you, you love that verse, right? That'd work better in the rural culture, rural culture. I can never say that word right. Rural, it's a weird word, isn't it? R-U-R-A-L, right? Now, when I see the word seed, I spell that correctly, right? Some of you are like, yeah. When I see the word seed, I quick do a mental search of like, the verses that seed is in. Because it's interesting to me. I'm like, there has to be something about seed that make it interesting. And so, one of the passages that come up, and I don't know the reference uh, outside of it being in 1 Peter. I think it's in 1 Peter 1. I remember a verse that talks about the Im- like imperishable seed, imperishable seed, right? And, and there's some other ones, like the seed scattered on the ground. Like, I first do a mental search. Like, what are the passages? Then I get on the internet, www, right? And I begin to search out seed, esv.org, brilliant website. And all of a sudden, some certain things begin to come up, which causes me, listen, to do a ton of research because I'm intrigued by seed. Listen, turns out that in the very premise of Gnostic belief, listen to this, in the premise of Gnostic belief, there was this divine being which a seed fell into the material earth and infiltrated humans, beings, Material beings, which are all, like we've mentioned several times, holy evil. Now, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis. And so the thought is, salvation is attained when the seed that's been planted in you, which fell from the divine being, you begin to self-realize who God is through knowledge, and then the seed, like, opens itself up to you, and that's salvation. Do you see what John does here? For God's seed abides in him. He takes bad doctrine and bad teaching and like, just, you know? He says, no, 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 for God's seed. Not some divine being. Not, not some eternal, mystical riffraff. And listen, there's a lot of similarities between New Age stuff that's in our culture now and Gnosticism. It's not some mystical, divine being. No, God's seed is in him, and that's why. The same uh, piece that I was sharing with you earlier. How is it possible for us to go on, to, uh, for, for us to, to not go on sinning? And how did Christ come to destroy the works of the devil? Well, it came because it was a propitiation for our sins, like we said. His blood cleanses our sin, but listen. He puts in our life 
his seed. The Holy Spirit, the revelation of the word of God, and when those two things are working in unison, the people born of God will not go on sinning because they're guided by God, convicted by the Spirit. When I sin, instantaneous conviction and you know that when you're not instantaneously convicted, it's like you're, you're teetering a bit, you know? And you guys know the feeling. You guys know the sense. You know that you have begun to drift away from the things of God. You're out of the Word and out of prayer. When ultimately, the fourth time that you get jealous of your friend, it didn't stir you as much as the third time. And again, it's not about numbers, but it's just it's you falling away from who God is. Listen, church, what I love about John is he is affirming to the church about what the reality is. You have the seed of God in you, not some divine God's seed. But he's not done. What else does he say? And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God, which he's already said in some different phrases. It is, church, impossible for you to habitually, repetitively sin because you have been born of God. You will reflect your Father. That's what Jesus was saying earlier. If you're a son of the devil, you reflect him. You're his son. If you're a son of God, you reflect him. Doesn't make us God, doesn't make us sinless like he is. But it means we reflect him. So what do you do with that? Right? Like, what do we do with that? Do we see it as assuring? Or for some of you who are believers, who have been deeply struggling with occasional sin, what does that mean for you? Be assured you have the seed of God within you. Now, I love this verse 9. This is amazing. Look at this. Or verse 10, excuse me. By this... It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. This is the piece that John wants to both be convicting and empowering. This isn't condemning. He wants this to be convicting and empowering to you, church. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. When I look at this verse, what are words in a moment of participation that strike you? If you're looking at this verse, you're like, hmm, interesting word. Many of you will be like, God, good start, right? What else? What other words of interest do you see in there? Children, okay. Definitely. Righteousness, sure, yes. Reminding us of what that is and the the fruit of what it means to be born of God. What else? Huh? Brother, yes, yes. Huh? Evident. Now there we go, young CSI Jedi, right? It's a pretty amazing phrase, really, you know what I mean? (laughs) CSI Horatio Jedi. Now, See South Miami, right? Look at this. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Pause. 
Why is he writing this? He's writing this because he, he wants to protect the people who have heard the message of the gospel from apostles in Asia Minor. He wants to protect them against this bad Christology, this bad teaching, this bad mysticism, if you will. So what does he say? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does, does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not lo- love his brother. What is he trying to do here? What is he saying to you? The scripture is saying we are not a judge of souls, but we better be a judge of fruit. Otherwise, he wouldn't write this. And and it's not a judge of fruit, it's a discerner of fruit. Uh, Look at this, you remember in verse 3 of chapter 1, John said this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, listen, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Why does he want them to examine the fruit of people? Because people have confused what fellowship is. John is saying over and over and over that fellowship is this deeply rooted connection that people who have the seed of God share. We share this deeply rooted thing in us because we have the seed of God in us. That's fellowship. If you're a child of the devil, you cannot have fellowship. If you're a child of the devil, you don't have koinonia. You don't have fellowship. Do you have relationships? Sure. John is saying, sit back and look at the people that are around you. Are there individuals who are not practicing righteousness, therefore children of the devil, And made even more evident by not loving their brother, which we'll study that beginning uh, next week, all the way through uh, chapter 5. He's saying discern it. Why? Because they're among you, listen, and they're becoming a deterrent to the gospel. Now again, this is where it's easy then to say us and them. No. But we must discern because we must protect right Christology. Are you with me, church? Anything or anybody, Jason and I were talking earlier about this movement that's beginning, that's incredibly dicey, and will potentially steer several into a bad area of teaching. And we as pastors, this is one of our highest calls, is to protect the church from bad teaching, bad Christology. So what are you to do, Christian? You are to discern by the seed of God that's in you who is in the fellowship and who is not. Now that's, like many other things tonight, seems harsh. That's what it says. By this it is evident, look, you need to know who is with us and who is not with us. Because who is with us will encourage each other towards the true gospel. And so what do we do with those who aren't with us? And what John says over and over, and the thing that I'm more impacted by tonight than in a long time, is we continue to love. 
we continue to desire that those, even in the form of some bad Christology, it's easy for us to point the finger, right? Heretic, heretic, heretic. It's easy for us to do that. When will we start praying for the heretics? There's somebody in America that's called out all the time for a stance on the prosperity gospel. How much time have you spent praying for him? And, and that feels like, well, separatists. No, it's clearly not biblical. That form of the gospel is not biblical. It's easy to say, communist, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to say that. How much time have you spent praying for him? Do you see where this ends? Where this ends is the assurance to the believer that you are born of God. You have the seed of God in you. You will not. It's impossible to habitually sin. So what does that mean? That means that to you, the mission will be all the clearer. The mission of Christ, the blessing of his life, what he came to do and live perfectly will be so clear to you that that, that law, the person of Christ, will consume you. So what does that mean tonight for those who are numb? You've realized tonight that you're a child of the devil. You've realized tonight that you're not born of God. You've realized in these moments that you are consumed with your lust. Consumed with your rage. You're consumed with your envy. So what about you? Can I tell you something? The Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And I can speak for myself, is that I was a, a wretched young boy, completely consumed in my sin, and God one day opened my eyes, making me a child of Him. I have a friend of mine who grew up in California, right, which is probably a bad start for many. And, um, just kidding, of course. And uh, he spent seven years smoking weed after school every day. After high school, that's right, I said seven years, right? And he talks about feeling numb. And, and he, when, he, when he shares what God's done in his life, he talks about, I just, I was emotionless, I didn't care, I had no care in the world. Every day it was just this relational thing with these people, I didn't think about anything. I didn't feel anything. And listen, one day, God grabbed a hold of his life and the numbness that was even aided by drugs went away in an instant to the glory of God and now he is walking with Christ and leading worship in Hawaii. Rough life, right? For those of you that came in here numb, consumed with your sin, let me tell you something. Your hope right now is in Christ. That consuming piece of you will be destroyed. It was destroyed in the continuing work of Christ and will be destroyed in total when Christ returns and smushes the head of the serpent, friends. That's absolute destruction. That's what the Son of Man came to do. If you're a believer in here tonight... It's sitting back and wrestling with the occasional sin that is 
potentially beginning to show its, its ugly head in your life, causing you to begin to feel. And for those of you who are children of the devil tonight, we're going to pray right now that God would open your eyes. That God right now would grab your heart. That God right now would say, come here, I'm the good shepherd. I want to carry you home. I want to save you. We're going to pray for that. Let's stand together as a church. Maybe tonight for you and for me, the mission is the most clear it's ever been. Let's pray for those individuals. God, I ask that by your power, that by your love, that by your grace, that some of the children of the devil who have walked in here tonight numb and consumed. I pray, God, that you loose that. I pray, God, that you loose that binding that they'll desire to know who you are. The desire to be consumed with you and not with the things of the world. God, I pray that you'll help us as the church to be better discerners of fruit so that we do not get deterred from the gospel and the true nature of who you are so that we can better be on mission. God, I pray for a call tonight of missionality on this church. A call to understand our our call in our life to be in rebellion against sin and not in rebellion against you. So God, would you say tonight, by your mighty hand. Now, to remember the power of the gospel, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And look, by partaking in this meal, you will remember what I have destroyed. I have destroyed the works of the devil by my perfect sacrifice on a cross. He says, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Then he held up the cup. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant which has been now consummated in me, the person of Christ, Take this, drink this, and do this in remembrance of me, that you remember the cleansing of the blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now, church, this meal is for believers tonight. This meal, listen, is for the assured. This meal of remembrance is for those who will walk up and take this meal and say, I am born of God not controlled by my habitual sin, controlled by the seed of God. When we take this meal tonight, can we do it with repentance and celebration, with confidence and humility? And tonight, if you've been stirred as a child of the devil, 
I'm going to be standing near the back and a couple of our other elders will be near the back. If you need to talk to somebody tonight and you want to continue that journey of asking questions, please come and talk to us. Let's respond and take this meal. Remember Christ.